Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the SOT Radio Network, where we expose the lies and emphasize the truth about health in our modern world. Welcome, everybody. Today is December 18th, 2015. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Joining me in our virtual studio from all across the planet, uh, we have an almost full complement of hosts today, uh, Doug, Erica, Gabby, and Elliot. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hi. Hello. Tiffany is uh, traveling, so we wish her safe travels. Um, so today our topic is... Uh, a yearly roundup. It's going to be called uh, the good, the bad, and the oh wait, it's all bad. That is our <laughs> our tentative title for today's show. Because we were going through looking at the year in review, and like we did find some good things, but honestly, the majority of it was uh, was bad. As is when you're looking at kind of the control system and the, the powers that be and the the initiatives get, that get pushed through and the good things that get shot down. And um, so there's a lot of interesting stuff in this past year. We're just going to kind of go over some of the topics that we have covered for the year, um, give you a few updates on some of those. Um, and uh, we'll have a discussion around that. So I guess uh, let's start with uh, the vaccines. I know last year um, when the vaccine debate came up, uh, it turned into like the hottest topic on the planet for a little while, and it was really hard to talk to people about it. It seems like the that level of vitriol has perhaps dropped off just a little bit, um, but not much. Uh, it still is quite a hot topic, uh, but we have a uh, a few items here about mandatory vaccines, and I know Erica, you had been kind of familiar with some of that because you've been following it for a while. Do you want to fill us in on what the uh, what the status is there? Yeah, so um, as you were saying, Jonathan, and as our regular listeners know, this vaccine debate has been heating up. And um, in the past year, there was the passing of the California Bill SB277, um, which actually was signed into law. And Basically, it just said that school-age children in California are subjected to mandatory vaccines according to the state's vaccine schedule. And um, we carried several articles on signs about Senator Pan, um, who helped push the bill through and how he had backing from Big Pharma and just total corruption, conflict of interest and whatnot. But what what um, is really kind of frightening about all this is the push that other countries are following as a result, and even across the United States. So on December 10th, um, there was a really good article in Wake Up World by Andy Whitney, Whitley, and it was uh, titled, What You Need to Consider When It Comes to Mandatory Vaccinations. And it's a pretty lengthy article, but he goes into a lot of important information about in- informed consent and your rights you know, as an individual. And he starts the article off with, uh, you know, the SB277 controversy. And then he goes a step further, and I do believe he's in Australia, um, about Mm -hmm. the no jab, no pay law that uh, recently passed in Australia and how it requires 
both children and young adults to be vaccinated in order to receive family tax benefit payments. And um, both these, this California law and the one, the no jab, no pay, goes into effect in January 2016. So um, just for a little background on the Australian law, uh, basically the social service legislation amendment was proposed to cease financial benefits to children, uh, parents of children up to and including age seven who aren't complying with the uh, immunization schedule, and um, it's going to be monitored by the Australian government. Now, however, the government has quietly altered the age definition of children from under seven and born on or after January 1st, 1996 to under 20. And he talks in the article about how this didn't get any uh, coverage in the mainstream media. And basically, this amendment is the first step in making vaccines compulsory for all Australian adults. And uh, he kind of goes into a little bit about what that means. Um, They're changing the name of the Childhood Immunization Register to Australian Immunization Register, and it will record adherence to the government vaccination schedule, a schedule that may also be modified with any number of or type of vaccines added to the schedule at any time. Hmm. So he makes a good point in the article about how, you know, there's voluntary vaccines and some people support it and some people don't, but basically calls it fascism. You know, and mm. fascism is fascism, irrespective of whether you agree with the outcome. The fact that the emotion of the vaccine debate has clouded so many people's view of what is acceptable and lawful action of a supposedly democratic government is extremely disconcerting. Yeah. And, and um, you know, he just goes into all the information about uh, legal, what's a legal human being and what's a natural person. And, you know, basically these laws are not really legal. You know, it's more like a, a scare campaign. And, you know, we've covered this before in the show. Like if you just scare people enough that everyone needs to be vaccinated, then people kind of just comply. And I've said it before in the past, in the United States, we already have a 97% compliance rate. So why is there so much pressure on that remaining 3%? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is really like you see it, uh, the, the the ramping up of fear, you know. And I think he makes a very good point that emotion has really, cl- like, clouded the debate. And I think that that's been very deliberate. Um, you know, you just have people on TV just freaking right out about, uh, you know, these this small percentage of people who have not been following the vaccine schedule and how they're endangering all of society. And, you know, the, it, it just it's so emotional and it doesn't, you know, bring into account a lot of the, you know, the, the basic facts about the situation. So it is it is very aggravating. Erica, do you know if we apply, for example, to vaccines like Gardasil? Yes. It does, and that's what he made that point, at least in Australia, that they could add any type of vaccine to that requirement. So it's like um, I I do believe the Gardasil vaccine is one of them, but I'm not 100% sure, but it just seems like 
in, in at least in Australia and maybe even in California and other states that they'll just add new vaccines to the list and there you go, you got to have it or you can't go to school or you can't get your benefits. I mean, a couple weeks past there was even um, a, uh, a veteran's requirement to get veteran's benefits in the United States to have, uh, you know, that mandatory vaccination. That's, I have no words, yeah, that's- but I do... I do have here um, a report from the United Nations 2013 report, and it is on on torture and other cruel, inhumane, or degrading treatment or punishment. Now, you guys tell me if this applies or not to certain vaccines like Gardasil, where we know that, you know, hundreds of girls have died, you know. They say, medical care that causes severe suffering for no justifiable reason can be considered cruel, inhumane, or degrading treatment or punishment, and if there is state involvement and specific intent, it is torture. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds uh, sounds pretty applicable to me. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, who is that report from, Gabby? United Nations 2013 report by the Special Rapporteur on Torture and Other Cruel, Inhumane, or Degraded Treatment or Punishment. And I actually got it from a lawyer who quoted it on the case of, um, you know, in the United States where um, a mother lost custody of her child. It was actually a couple who lost custody of her child because the state, you know, basically kidnapped her on the basis that, you know, they were accusing the parents of medical negligence when actually the girl was recovering from her disease, which was mitochondrial disease. And um, they went to the emergency room uh, once for, you know, an infectious or a consultation. And that's when the state kidnapped the girl. You know, it's uh, just, if I remember correctly, her name is Justine Pelletier. Yeah, that's her name. That's what I got it. I got it from a lawyer, you know. Wow. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, I really wonder if that will be applied at all within the United States uh, because, you know, we have a a long history here of uh, Child Protective Services being able to do pretty much whatever they want. Um, And that's a sticky topic, too, because there are some cases, I I stress some, where... um, that kind of service can be useful where there actually is abuse and things like that going on. Um, but their, their power is quite overreaching to the point where, like you said, they can come in and essentially kidnap a child from their parents based on whatever they deem, uh, you know, to be negative behavior. Well, and I think it's also a lot more fear mongering as well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as if we needed any more, uh, fear-mongering, especially in the United States, but with everything, you know, about uh, terror and, uh, you know, the government and all these other things that are, you know, driving people mad. Um, now, well, of course, it's not just now. It's been happening for some time, but everybody is so afraid of getting sick and not just getting, like, you know, some kind of fatal illness, but, you know, they're afraid of getting the flu, you know, or chickenpox, which, and I've had chickenpox. It sucks, but it's not that bad. 
<laughs> so well, I'm reading in the chat room here that uh, we seem to be getting a lot of echo. Um, at least one one user is saying that we have a lot of echo going on right now. Um, I don't know. I'm not he- I'm not hearing it on this end. I don't know if anybody else is hearing it or it's something just at their location. But uh, um, maybe we need to mute when we're not speaking. Mm, I'm not hearing yeah, we'll it. Yeah, I can't. I can't hear any echo on this end. Mm. Yeah, another Stay user is just that they're not getting any echoes. So I, I think it might be just that one user. Um, something going on in their end. Sure. Well, I wanted to add to the vaccine discussion some positive notes since we're trying to find the good and all the bad in this. Um, this year in September uh, 2015, the year that we're in, uh, the Weston Price Foundation produced a six-minute video about the actual facts regarding vaccines and vaccinations. Um, and if our, interest, our listeners are interested, you can view the video. The name of the article is called What They Are Not Telling You About Vaccines. And it's a really well-done, professionally-made video that just gives you a lot of statistics and information. So if people are on the fence, they're not sure, this is a good video to kind of send out to people instead of having that discussion, right? Just say, oh, if you're interested, watch this video and um, can get some information and then people can decide for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard one to talk about. I'm sure our listeners have had some experience with that as well. Um, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's it's always been kind of a hot topic, but more so uh, recently. And it's it's almost along the lines of the whole secondhand smoke thing, if not even a little bit more virulent than that. Um, you know, to you know, where if you, your child or you are not vaccinated, uh, you're posing a threat. To everyone around you, and we've talked in the past about herd immunity and some of these uh, issues that have been uh, disproven. Um, but you know, you can show people as much science as you like, uh, and a lot of times that still doesn't change their viewpoint. So, no, I, it's I, true. I say it, but I, oh, go ahead, Doug. Well, I was just going to say that, I mean, that's what it, it really kind of comes down to, to that point. I mean, you can only go so far with people. Um, if somebody is absolutely 100% convinced because of what they've uh, come across in the mainstream media that uh, that you're endangering them by, by not being vaccinated, you know, I, it's one of those things that I just, you know, I try to avoid as much as possible as far as, like, conversations about this kind of stuff goes and try to change the subject if it comes up or just remove myself from the situation just because, you know, you, like, you can't – I've just come to the conclusion that I'm not, go, I'm not going to convince anybody. If somebody's already convinced of one position, then there's, there's really no way – nothing I can say is going to change that. Um, and I've never actually been, thank God, in, the, in the, the, the situation where I'm being confronted about these sorts of things. Um, but, you know, especially for things like my family, like, forget it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to broach that subject. If the subject of, of vaccines comes, comes up, I'm going to kind of steer myself away. Um, and, you know, just try and, like, spread information to people who, who are open to that sort of thing, who are asking questions. Because, you know, trying to fight somebody who's already convinced is like fighting with a brick wall. And outside, mm-hmm. uh, 
out of thought, have you ever encountered somebody who's open-minded about it or actually told you vaccines are really bad? Have oh, I ever anybody like that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of... It's kind of like a silent segment, you know what I mean? Like, like I think people are kind of taking that same approach that I take just because there is so much um, hysterical, um, you know, propaganda out there um, that, you know, it's kind of like some, people will kind of like maybe broach it a little like, you know, I'm not so into vaccines, are you? And you're like, no, no, I'm not either. And it's kind of like you, oh, good, well, you're on my team, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it, it, I, I think there are people out there who just kind of stay shut up about it, um, just because it is so controversial. I know a number of uh, naturopaths who don't broach the subject just because they know that it could just drive people away in droves, you know, because the, the propaganda is so severe. So basically like talking about UFOs, you know, you cannot talk about vaccines. Because yeah. You like <laughs> yeah. Well, they've been so effective at painting people like who anybody who who you know you know you're 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 automatically an anti-vaxer if you just choose not to 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 conform to the schedule. You know, it's like you you're you're put in the same uh, group as like yeah, like you said, UFOs or tin hat wearing conspiracy theorists and all this other kind of stuff. When it's like there there is very solid evidence there. So the 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 idea that the the um, the anything opposed to the vaccine schedule is just complete conspiracy theory and unscientific is it it it's so enraging because there is like you know it, it it anybody who questions is painted as you know this this freak so it it just yeah anyway <laughs> well i i think it speaks to um you know what the author of that article was sharing about the mandatory vaccines it's like uh it's it's a fascist control it's medical tyranny mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it this seems to be a hot button topic that gets people to go along you know um mm-hmm. we carried an article on sot uh, called vaccine extremism in america by barbara low fisher and she's been working on this issue for like 30 plus years and she talked about how recently she attended uh, several FDA vaccine advisory committee meetings where she watched vaccine extremists and profiteers hijack the vaccine licensing process. So Hmm. future vaccines targeting seniors and pregnant women could be fast-tracked to licensure without first providing safety and effectiveness. And she says Hmm. there were only a few of them uh, in the room representing the general public to voice opposition to the exploitation of, you know, mm-hmm. senior pregnant women, and it just made her sick. She just said, this is just insane. You can see the, the connection between big pharma and, and you know, the political shenanigans of these people that are just pushing these not safe medical treatments on people and scaring them into it. Yeah, and it's like he was saying in the article, it's all just emotion, you know, all emotionally based, like get people freaked out and scared. I mean, that's the best way to manipulate people, right? You just, you know, uh, ramp up the fear. um, And then, you know, your logical thinking faculties are shut down. And no matter what evidence you're presented with, you're not not going to accept it. Mm -hmm. 
and then what comes thing, next? Actually. Yeah, well, total control comes next. I mean, you know, I, I guess if you want to do the tinfoil hat thing, you can take it as far as you like. But, um, you know, and being even if I'm being a little bit conservative about my viewpoint, perhaps not total control, you know, not like complete mm-hmm. robotic control, like in a very literal <laughs> sense, but not too far off. Um, you know, it is uh, it, it is to the point now where pretty much anything can be introduced into the public consciousness and given that hint of fear, and you can just watch everybody kind of bend to that. Um, and it's interesting to see it happen on, on, a, on such a large scale because, you know, say you're watching like uh, a TV show or a film or something where they do that and there's a group of people that get an illness or they get something and everybody freaks out and then they start, you know, executing them or running them out of town and you're like, mm. well, that's, that's a movie, you know. But mm. it's actually not that far off from reality. People do tend to freak out um, and mob mentality is a very real kind of mass psychological condition that takes over. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess speaking of uh, issues kind of like that, uh, there's been a lot of controversy as well over uh, GMO food. Um, And there are a lot of people who think that GMOs are no problem. Um, And of course, a lot of people that, uh, that think that they are a problem. And we've had some, progress over that uh, in the last year. And uh, I know, Erica, you said you had an update for us on the Dark Act. Uh, did you mind just kind of recapping what is the Dark Act and what uh, what's the news about it? Yeah, so the Dark Act was this bill that was being pushed to, den- they call it the Dark Act for the deny, deny America's right, Americans' right to know what's in their food. So there are um, several states in the United States that are pushing for mandatory labeling, and one of them is Vermont, and I know in Hawaii they were um, really working towards that as well, and it got shut down. But basically, um, this overriding bill would nullify the state's rights to have mandatory labeling. And this has been going on a few years ago. They called it the Monsanto Rider, and they sneak it into these bills at the end of the year to get passed. And it's usually backed by very large large organizations like the GMA, the Grocery Manufacturers of America. And basically they don't want to have labeling, right? Because who's going to eat food that's labeled with GMOs, especially since the information is getting out there. And so just on the 16th, I believe, so two days ago, um, it went before Congress. I'm looking for the article here just to kind of add. Um, The bill went before Congress, and uh, they decided not to include the policy writer in the must-pass federal omnibus spending bill that would have blocked states from implementing mandatory genetically engineered food labeling laws. And Mm. so there are three states, Connecticut, Maine, and Vermont, who've passed such laws. Uh, Vermont's laws uh, slated to be the first to go into effect in July 2016. And had this bill passed, all those states, those uh, laws would have been nullified. So over 30 states have introduced bills to labeling genetically modified 
foods in the past. And so um, the uh, Center for Food Safety praised Congress. I thought that was a little bit much, but (laughs) (laughs) that they uh, apparently decided not to undermine Americans' rights to know about their food and feed their families. And um, the Senate chose not to take up the bill despite heavy pressure from the food and biotech industries. And so we'll see where this goes, you know. Um, The whole GMO salmon thing is also, you know, in line with that. And um, the article here says, and the name of the article is United States Congress Blocks GMO Labeling Dark Act. And when they talk about salmon, they said, as of right now, the newly approved GE salmon could be deceptively marketed as Atlantic salmon to consumers. So it's all mm. about the wording and kind of how they can sneak it in. And But that seems like a plus for today. Yeah. <laughs> it's something, uh, hopefully we can be positive about. I mean, and like you said, we kind of have to just wait and see and, and see how this develops. Um, and it's it's interesting that this has come on the tail of them approving the GMO salmon. Um, and I've, I found it interesting, actually, that a lot of uh, retailers have said they won't sell the GMO salmon. They've actually come forward and say they're not going to do it. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, it, I, I question, you know, whether they'll be able to with all the sneaky ways that they can kind of sneak it in and mislabeling, like you were just saying, Erica, like labeling it as Atlantic salmon. Oh, no, we don't sell GMO salmon. We sell Atlantic salmon. It's like, well, <laughs> hmm, I wonder. So, yeah, it, it, the, the whole thing, like, it, this is certainly a plus, but uh, I'm, I'm a little skeptical. Hmm. On the plus well, side, on the plus, sorry, <laughs> on the plus, oh, plus side, um, Russia went GMO free like a couple of years ago. Mm. So if this continues to deteriorate, maybe people should just like start demanding Russian products. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I I wonder. I mean, that's very very smart of uh, of Russia to do actually to try and position themselves as the world's kind of non-GMO leader, um, and that Russian goods will be kind of, you, you know that a Russian good is, is uh, safe, but I don't know about you guys, but I, here in Canada, I don't think I've ever seen any Russian goods in my stores. Mm-hmm. Well, and this yeah, year, too, here. you know, it, it's not only, I mean, there's several countries who, and we've talked about this in the past, um, several countries are, you know, going against it. I mean, there was an article in May of 2015 from Global Research about down with Monsanto, increasing number of countries banning cancer-causing glyphosate and GMOs. And, um, you know, it talks about how Monsanto knew for 35 years that its glyphosate was linked to cancer and other health issues. And uh, they with the EPA withheld the studies because it was considered a trade secret. Yes, it's a trade secret that our food will kill you. But uh, there's, um, you know, just a quick list. I won't list all 30 countries, but, um, you know, you have Sri Lanka banning glyphosate, the Netherlands, Brazil. You also have, um, you know, Russia, Germany, Argentina, Bermuda, um, an outright GMO ban in France, and then the U.S., you know, you have 
these uh, states like Vermont and even Hawaii was really working on that. And then Hungary, Peru, China. So there's a lot of countries that are fed up, you know. They, they, are, they don't want to participate in all this. I mean, why would you? Yeah. That's really good to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you see countries like Germany and France on that list. Um, because you usually think of them as being completely allied with the with the West, with the um, with the U.S. Um, so yeah, it, it's encouraging to see that uh, you know those countries are still maybe uh, have their their citizens uh, uh, in mind at least they're listening to them in some respect. Mm-hmm. And I think people should be made you know should be more aware that there has been studies about cross-contamination, you know, countries mm. where GMOs are forbidding and they tested positive in their fields for GMOs. Mm. That would really make people very angry. Wow. Like. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Once you have them released into the, into the environment, uh, you know, it can't be controlled at that point. Like, that's the very nature of GMOs, that, like, once you have introduced it, like, once they've decided... Um, that it was going to come out of the lab and they were going to start growing it out in the open. There's no turning back from that point. Like it really is like the 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 how easily these things cross contaminate is is part of the nature of it. It's like it's it's a beast that can't be stopped at this point. Well, I can say from personal experience. You know, I started on this anti-GMO thing about eight years ago, and we were farmers, and and our concern was exactly what you're talking about, Doug, the contamination, right? So Mm. forget the labeling and all this. Like we were just focusing on soil science and the safety. And from my point of view and what I've seen after reading about all this, and we did several, you know, our first roundtable discussion, I think there was two people in the audience, and that was in 2007. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, I I always make the joke that uh, when you say GM, people used to say, oh, you mean the car company? You know, I mean, that was the consciousness that people had about it. So um, I think that contamination is what they want to do. At least um, Mm -hmm. what we saw in Hawaii, which was one of the biggest uh, GMO seed producers in the United States, in fact, because there was four growing seasons, they produced all the seed to grow all Mm. the GMO crops across the United States, and I think contamination is what they were doing. They were pushing, you know, since 1996 to grow these crops, and they figured soon enough people would figure out there was some bad, you know, news about it or that they wouldn't be healthy. But by the time, you know, look, we're 20 years later, all the soil is contaminated. So even if you have organic crops, you have GMO microorganisms in your soil. You know, so with the patenting of the seeds and all that, then they can own your crops. I mean, on down the line. Mm-hmm. But I will say on a positive note that I have seen so much more activism. I mean, we carried an article on SOT a couple weeks ago about from Erin Brockovich uh, in Time mm-hmm. on the Time website, and she said, I'm outraged the biotech industry is jeopardizing our health. I mean, that's a major news outlet. And mm-hmm. for her to even get an article in there, and she did talk about the, the GMO salmon, but she also talked about, you know, how the FDA's review process is based on sloppy science. And, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. 
seven or eight years ago, you would have never read anything like that. I mean, no, and not so, on time. Um, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, even in the New York Times in 2013, a poll found that 93% of Americans wanted GMOs labeled. So I do see some change coming about for sure in that area, just awareness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure, there's also also the, uh, the Neil Young tour that's been going around. I'm not sure how many people have heard about that, but uh, mm-hmm. Neil Young has released a new album and is doing a tour um, and where he's focusing on, uh, essentially on Monsanto. It's called the Monsanto Years. Um, and I went and saw one of the uh, most recent shows uh, in Wisconsin. He said it was amazing um, that mm-hmm. uh, Neil is still like, well, rocking in the free world, not to be too cheesy, but... Um, he is, uh, he's carrying the torch. He's doing like, and he's really like putting himself out there. He's doing like three hour shows, like, you know, playing the whole thing straight through, um, and using that platform to try to spread awareness about GMOs and about Monsanto and about corporations kind of taking over, uh, the production of our food, um, which is a big issue. It should be a big issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my husband actually got to see him perform live in California, the show, uh, along with uh, Willie Nelson's sons. And uh, mm-hmm. he said it was so awesome because at the end of the show, Neil Young actually threw out uh, organic seeds into the audience. And there wow. was this big outrage that, you know, you're not, especially in California, because they've got these, you know, really tight control and they didn't pass a GMO labeling act and he was breaking the law by, by throwing out organic seeds into the (laughs) 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 So a little act of civil disobedience, you know, but again, like the fact that he's touring, that he's make, that he's getting all these other people involved, like the farm aid musicians are involved now, Dave Matthews, Willie Nelson, John Mellencamp. And, uh, they recently set a, set, um, a petition to President Obama December, and, uh, you know, they're like, this is enough. Enough is enough, you know. You need to listen to the people. They don't want this. Yeah, it's good to have, like, these these kind of um, very visible uh, celebrity people who are kind of supporting the cause. Um, you know, Aaron Brockovich, for one, but uh, Neil Young, all these farm-made musicians and stuff, because... You know, they, they kind of have a platform to get it out there into the public consciousness. And, you know, a Neil Young fan isn't necessarily going to know anything about GMOs or, you know, about farming or any of this kind of stuff. So the fact that these guys are, you know, kind of showing their bravery and standing up for something that they believe in and getting the word out there, I, I think it's commendable. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. I guess uh, I hate to uh, bring it back to the dark side, but I still, I guess I still feel a little bit pessimistic. I'm like, the activism is great, um, you know, but there's been activism for years about a number of different things. You know, there were millions of people that, that protested the war in Iraq when that started. Mm. Um, and, you know, we see it still goes on. And so, like, I think it's um, uh, my point, I guess, being is that to, to keep it up, to not lose mm-hmm. steam, uh, you know, to keep spreading the word because you can very easily by looking at 
the pattern of way things go, be like, well, it's not going to make a difference. So, you know, I'm just going to stay home and not talk to anybody about this. Um, so, I mean, you, you want to be strategic. You want to be careful um, in the way you put yourself out there, um, you know, whether or not you're going to, you know, lose your job or things like that. Like that, I think, should actually take uh, take part in the, in the decision-making process. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, as soon as we all stop talking about uh, like GMOs, like vaccines, um, then – there's nobody talking about it, you know, and then, you know, mm. essentially like our kids are not going to know, you know, because mm. it'll, it'll turn into a thing where you're like, you're an old man or an old woman. You're like, when I was a kid, we talked about this and they're like, what are you talking about? You mm. know, I, I've never heard that before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I think is changing is that like, uh, like Erica was saying, I think awareness is growing. You know, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, been, people have been out there talking about this for a long time, and, you know, it's it's easy to kind of look at it and say, oh, we're gaining no traction. But I think the, that, that a lot of the traction that's being gained is, uh, isn't is that visible. Um, you know, as more and more people are becoming aware of these things, it's like it's, it's building up. And eventually it's hoped that there, you're going to reach a tipping point with this kind of stuff where, you know, your average individual – um, you know, North American who doesn't really pay attention to much in the way of politics or any of that kind of thing is still going to know about this. And it's still going to be like, you know what, I want to know what's in my food. You know, this, I, I can't trust the authorities that this is all safe and is all being taken care of and, and that, um, you know, that they're doing the, the, the required testing and that kind of thing. Um, I think, you know, the more, the more these people step forward and, and, and kind of bring light to this subject – uh, the better, and I, I do think that if you if you really look uh, kind of objectively at what uh, you know how much traction has been gained, things are building. Um, maybe I'm just being too much of a naive optimist, but I, I think uh, I, th- I think we're, we're we're seeing some progress. No, I'm with you there. And I mean, awareness is definitely... Yeah, oh, and every single ahead, person has to eat. Every single person has to eat three times a day or two times a day. Yeah. I mean, everyone has to eat. Man, woman, child, elderly, even cats mm-hmm. and dogs. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it is like the vaccine thing is, you know, it tends to focus on children and this and that and the other thing, but everyone has to eat. So mm-hmm. with the health statistics around the world and how people are getting sick and dying, I mean, it at some point people have to go, hmm, I wonder if this is contributing to my feeling ill. Is it my impression or not, Bud, I uh, think that more people are winning lawsuits against Monsanto recently. Mm. It does seem that way, yeah. For example, um, this week we carried an article on thoughts, a scientist who discovered the GMO caused tumors Wins lawsuit. No one GMO and pet to rats caused serious health problems, including tumors, and a lot of people were very, you know, spreading the news about that. There were pictures about it, if I remember correctly. And um, and then uh, apparently uh, he won a lawsuit. Uh, his paper was originally retracted after a complaint from Monsanto, and it was republished in another scientific journal. And, um, yes, an even a peer-reviewed letter, uh, scientific publication, asserted that the scientists and his team were right, after all, on their discovery showing tumors in lab rats fed GMOs. Mm. 
So yeah, um, they tried they tried to do the whole Arpad Pustai thing on him, where you know you think the guy finds some stuff uh, out about GMOs that uh, goes contrary to the uh, the biotech um, companies, and uh, you know they tried to basically slam him and and drag his name through the mud and all that kind of stuff that they did to to Arpad Pustai way back in uh, I guess it was in the 90s. And uh, the, the scientist's name is uh, Professor Giles Eric Seralini. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm pronouncing that right. But, um, but yeah, he basically fought back in, in, a, in a good way. You know, they try, they, you see this all the time. They just they kind of have this, this checklist of things that they go through in order to, um, you know, achieve damage control. Um, and the, the, the way that they try to do it is through defamation. Well, this guy fought back, and the court found that you know he he was just defamed for no good reason, um, and that his his findings were solid and deserve to be out there. So, yeah, that's another win. Yeah, I I agree that you know awareness obviously has to be the basis for any kind of action. Um, if people are not aware of an issue, uh, then you know it's kind of it's kind of a blatantly obvious that if you don't know about something, you can't do anything about it. Um, but, you know, I agree, Doug, that uh, more and more people are learning about these issues. And now I think more and more, if you bring up Monsanto, uh, for instance, you get that reaction of like, oh, yeah, they're evil, aren't they? You know, you're like, yes. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> Monsanto. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not a typical psychopathic corporation. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what I was going to say. I think that um, you know, generally, it's I don't know. It's a hard thing to kind of suss out what the uh, what the truth is on a on a global scale. What I mean by that is what what the truth of what people's opinions are. Um, You know, because the majority of people that I talk to are yeah, you know, politicians are selfish and dumb, and most of them are psychopathic. Corporations are definitely psychopathic and they're running the planet into the ground. Um, you know, yes, all of these things are true, but I can't really do anything about it. So, you know, I guess what, what am I going to do? You know, so to me, it seems like there is, there is actually quite a bit of awareness of this, but not that much motivation to action. Um, yeah. In the sense that like, you know, what can I do about my food? Well, you can, you can go to your local farms. Well, that means I have to drive around looking for a farmer, you know, and that's, and I don't want to do that, you know? And like, so uh, I think maybe the next step is how to help people come up with ways um, that they can um, find better food, um, that they can stand up for their family when it comes to things like vaccines. Um, But it's hard, you know, because there are even people um, who I've read about recently who are facing legal issues with their children and not necessarily even with the state, but with say like a spouse, uh, you know, or a, a, a divorced couple who, you know, the, the ex-wife or the ex-husband is going to sue the other parent because they don't want to vaccinate their kids. You know, I mean, there's so much pressure going on. Um, mm-hmm. It's really hard to, it's hard to either track down the correct means of operating, you know, with your food or with anything else. And it's also hard to stand up, or the correct way to be when you have so much pressure against you. Yeah, it's, I don't think anybody's out there saying it's easy. Like, it certainly isn't. Um, but, right. I mean, right. I think that if people are driven, if they kind of, you know, they gather the information, they know, um, you know, the truth about these, these situations, then it's not impossible. 
You know, you can, um, there are networks out there that you can join up with and come up with solutions. Um, you know, everybody has an individual situation and some of them are much more difficult than others, but, um, you know, I, I don't think, we, we can't lose hope. Like, I think that if you are really looking for an answer, um, the answers are out there. Yeah, I, I think I think the difference is is um is how many people are really genuinely looking for an answer. Yeah. Um because like I in my experience anyway, um you can speak to lots of people and, and I completely agree with what Jonathan said. Um the majority of the people who I come into contact with um would would agree that for instance, say corporations um, are running the world down into the ground, um, the politicians can't be trusted, um, that the banking system is corrupt in some in some way, and that the food our food is um, you know pesticides, GMOs. They're they're generally a bad thing, but it it makes me question whether this is um, genuinely sort of coming from that person's um individual opinion on that matter rather than like a commonly accepted idea um that's sort of thrust upon them like it's it's fairly common for people to um to view politicians as corrupt but um but when it comes to i guess you have to have that genuine desire to know the truth and to do something about it i think that's generally mm-hmm. what a lot most people don't actually have. I think they're generally quite apathetic, and so they can agree with something or agree with a statement, but actually having the desire to change is is mm. is, is a really big step for a lot of people. And so yeah. I, don't, I, I just can't see how anything can change uh, on a sort of macro scale unless there are more people who, um, who I guess, bore that desire, you know, that, that genuine um, seeking of, of, of real sort of truth. Well, I think that's yeah. true, um, absolutely. But at the same time, you know, it's not necessarily our job to to um, see things, like, you know, to, to, to um, change things on a macro scale. Like, we're all just individuals, right? So you can't lose hope by seeing that, oh, this person, you know, can see the thing that, 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 that corporations are psychopathic, but they're not willing to do anything about it. Well, then you, you kind of put yourself forward as the example on that. You know, a lot of the times I think these people are, you know, they just don't know that there is alternatives. Like, yeah, the world's going to shit. What are you going to do? Like, but if you kind of put yourself forward as an example, and you kind of show that, well, no, there are alternatives. You know what? I'm not satisfied with the way things are, so I'm going to do things differently. You know, there's only so much that an individual can do, but that they can see that there are alternatives, that there is a way to live your life in such a way where you're not, you know, you're putting out to the universe that you are not happy with the way things are and that you're not going to just lie down and take it. I think that, you know, by putting that example forward, people see that there is an alternative. And it's like, oh, okay, well, Doug's, uh, Doug refuses to eat GMOs and actually makes an effort to avoid them. I guess maybe I could do that too because I know that GMOs are bad. You know, it, it's a small thing, but all those small things might add up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, I think you're totally right. There is still the, uh, the fact that um, passion 
drives people. And I think when, when people see someone who is passionate, they are inclined to, you know, at least investigate what they're talking about. Um, to like, wow, this person is really into that. Like you said, you know, what, wow, Doug, you know, is really against GMOs. Why is he so against GMOs? I'm going to check that out. Um, mm. I've had that experience in the past too, where, you know, you're talking to somebody and they're like, wow, this really bothers you. I'm like, yeah, you know, yes, this really bothers me. Um, and then that kind of opens the door for somebody to be like, well, now I'm curious, um, mm. as opposed to as opposed to being just like, well, this is bad, you know, whatever. Um, we need to keep that kind of fire burning, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think it's important. Maybe sometimes it is not much um, passion per se, but more like you act, you know, you want uh, freedom, you want to, you know, have your free will respected. And they can sense that, you know, in you, and they also want the same for them, you know, and it could be contagious, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. Sure. I, th- sure. I think at the end of the day, like, it's very easy to kind of look at the state of the world and have, like, at, like just be overwhelmed with this feeling of dread, you know, that, that everything is, is just terrible. And I, I think it's really easy to get paralyzed by that. But I think in some situations, you just have to look at the micro scale and say, what am I doing? You know, I'm putting that signal out there that I am not satisfied, that I see that things are bad and I'm willing to work in my own life to, to, to try and correct it. You know, I think that that sends actually a very strong signal. And, uh, it, and it doesn't do anybody any good to get overwhelmed and give up. You know, so I think I, I think that while these emotions are very real to look at these things and see how, how crappy it is, I mean, we've said this on the show before, you need to use that as a motivation. You, be, you need to see, like, okay, things are really bad. What can I do? And that's the aim of the control system, if you look at it. You know, they want you to feel overwhelmed and just give up, you know. That's mm-hmm. what the control system wants. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, definitely. Uh, There are these, you know, like you said, the micro scale things that we can do, and that is pretty much what you can do. Uh, Not everybody can be, uh, nor necessarily should they be an activist on a, on a national or on a global scale. Um, Mm. It it makes me think of something that uh, Laura Nightyachik said in one of the old SOT podcasts from a number of years ago. Uh, she was talking about, um, you know, the type of job that you do, um, you know, and mm. you don't have to be, you know, like a, in, an engineer or a genetic scientist in order to be important. You know, if you are a, a, a ditch digger and you dig the best ditch that you can and you learn everything about that and you take pride in your work, um, then then that's what you do. You work hard, you apply your understanding, your learning and your skill to what you're doing. So, mm-hmm. In that in that sense, not everybody can be you know a, a giant macro scale activist. Um, what we can mm-hmm. be um, is activists in our own in our own actions in our own personal lives. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, recycle your plastic instead of throwing it away. You're not going to get rid of the plastic island that's in the Pacific Ocean just by doing that. But you know, you, you can do your small part in taking away from that. Because the reason that that big plastic ocean, the plastic island exists is because nobody recycled their plastic. You know, um, 
so <laughs> we we have to become uh, uh, comfortable in a way with doing our own kind of small part uh, to help things out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, Jonathan, you know, George Carlin, the comedian, said that he believes that the reason God created humans was to make plastic. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that maybe that was sort of like the uh, the planet's self-destruct mechanism. <laughs> it will long outlive us. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Doug, I agree. It is, you know, with what you said about how it's easy to get overwhelmed. It's super easy. I mean, I could take three minutes and and completely depress myself. And, (laughs) you know, it doesn't take that long. And you look at all of the negative things in the world, it's very easy to do. Um, So it's important to keep a certain perspective on that and say, what am I doing in my own life? Mm -hmm. Well, I think... Um, Planting the seed, you know, um, again, when when we started lecturing about GMOs years ago, uh, we started a Facebook page called Seeds of Truth, and I think we had like four or five followers, and, you know, I'd put articles up all the time, and, you know, maybe one person would read them, two people would read them, but it was like this idea of planting the seed, and then years later, you know, people go, oh, I remember reading something about that, and they go back and they find it, and now all of a sudden they're interested and they're seeing it in their community or in their state, and, oh, now it's becoming an issue. Oh, it's actually on the, the you know, people are voting on it and whatnot. So it's it takes time. It's like a tree that needs to grow, you know. It's not going to happen in, in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. It may take years. But I, I definitely, and I tend to be an optimist in that sense that, you know, people are waking up and they are seeing things change in that sense, even if it's just awareness of it. Yeah, I guess, mm-hmm. I guess, um, I guess, like as you guys have said, um, I I completely agree that it's it's just so easy to get bogged down, um, and as Jonathan said, spend a few minutes and just completely depress yourself um and i think it's easy that like um you're saying erica about planting seeds um because there's no immediate uh observable results let's say um with a lot of these types of things it's very easy to uh to assume that you are not making a change um by planting those seeds, that, that it's all for no for no good cause, you know. It's uh, it is. I I personally find it very uh, easy to fall into that mindset. But but you are right in what you say, and um, even though even though that one small change that you make in your life may not necessarily um, <laughs> uh, recycle all of the plastic on on the earth, you know, and fix anything. You're sending that signal out, and you're you're acting as um, you know you're putting yourself out there, and you're sending sending a message to the universe, and essentially saying, you know, I'm willing to change, and I I want something different, you know, and I guess that that's that's part of almost like um, moving towards a, a a new reality in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of like where where the fight where does your fight actually exist? 
You know, is it your job to, uh, you know, obliterate GMOs from the planet? No. But it's your job to make sure that you're, um, you know, you're, you're, do, you're living how you want to live this life. So, I mean, in a way, you kind of have to look at it selfishly. It's like, I, what can I do to, uh, you know, make my own life the, the ideal? You know, how can I um, make sure that I'm not exposed to the things that I don't want to be exposed to? And, you know, that comes down to awareness, that comes down to knowledge and, like, gathering information and, and, and acting on that knowledge. So, yeah, I think, I think it, it, it's a lot – in a lot of cases, people are looking at the big picture, and that's when they're getting overwhelmed. Um, and I'm not saying you shouldn't look at the big picture because I think that's very important, but it's what that big picture motivates you to do in your own life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess let's uh, let's move through some of our other year-in-review uh, topics. Um, looks like uh, next we have here the WHO declaring meat to be carcinogenic. Um, of course, we did. We talked about that in the past show. I don't know if that, if there's really been um, any update on that or any change. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, I, I also I'm not sure if that's going to have any effect. Uh, frankly, I, I don't see. I mean, for myself, certainly not. But um, you know, a lot of the people that I know who are meat eaters, um, I, I don't see them quitting just because this study came out from the WHO. <laughs> I, I'm curious what you guys think. You know, like what would be the purpose of releasing a study like that when you know? I, I guess I'm having a hard time articulating myself. It, it just doesn't seem like it's going to have that big of an effect. Uh, maybe it was manipulation of the masses, but as you said, I, I don't think either it made like a huge difference unless the person was really already very. Um, polarized, you know, and I'll say, yeah, I'll avoid red meat from now on, but for the most part, yeah. people are like, ah, whatever, you know? <laughs> I Yeah, I think maybe it kind of like, it cemented a lot of people's position. I mean, if somebody already was the type who was, uh, you know, avoiding uh, red meat and trying to stick with their five servings of grains a day, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. I'll just keep on this track. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, and it, it it might also, like, you know, it, it changes the, the wider public perception in a lot of ways. Like some people, like, you know, the default for somebody when they're kind of like, you know what, I'm not feeling so good. I need to clean up my diet. What do they turn to? They turn to the, like the, the, the mass media definition of what is healthy, what is healthy eating. And it just kind of more, like cemented that position more. Um, you know, because most people are not going to be like, oh, who says that meat is carcinogenic? Maybe I should analyze this study and kind of see how they came to this conclusion. No. I mean, a lot of people did do that, but it's people who are already kind of, um, you know, aware that, you know, eating, um, you know, pastured animals is actually extremely healthy for you. So I guess what it really did is that, you know, the, the wife out there who's concerned about her husband's heart because he he eats too much red meat, kind of can come to him and say, look at what the who found. I told you this. You have to stop eating so much red meat. Um, so, yeah, what did it, what, what effect did it have on, on a grand scale? Maybe not a lot, but it definitely, like, made that position, their position firmer. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be interesting to see moving forward, um, you know, what the uh, – the general 
kind of state of opinion is towards uh, meat, towards like the paleo diet or the keto diet. I, I would generally, I think there's more public awareness of the paleo diet than there is of the ketogenic diet. Um, mm. And I've, I've known quite a few people uh, personally who are kind of leaning towards that, who are realizing the health benefits of that. Um, mm. But, you know, I wonder if that if on a, on a mass scale, uh, if that's going to uh, take hold because it's not just that like meat and fat are good for you. It's also that you need to cut out um, sugar and all of these other processed mm-hmm. foods. And I think, I think mm-hmm. that that is specifically what people are not doing. Um, you know, because everybody loves them. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people love their barbecue, you know, or a burger or mm-hmm. their steak or that kind of thing. Um, but they also love the big, you know, whole wheat bun or the, the big white bread bun. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the fries that have like a sugar glaze on them, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the candy, the desserts and all of these things and, and beer especially too, you know, it's full of sugar, um, which is a big, uh, pairing with, with meat, uh, with a lot of meat eaters. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the state of health in the, uh, in the world of, of meat is not necessarily just one thing. It's not like... If you're talking to somebody, you can't just leave it at red, you know, red meat, uh, fish, and you know, good fats, animal fats, things like that are good for you. You have to also include the other elements in the discussion. Yeah, and yeah. perhaps that, perhaps that's one thing that this WHO study kind of pulls away from. Um, because if I'm if I'm not going to eat meat because it's carcinogenic, what am I going to eat? You know, a lot of carbohydrates, yeah. a lot of vegetables, and then I'm just going to kind of gravitate towards feeding uh, processed foods generally. It's the same mistake all over again. Yeah. It's what all over again, Daddy? The same mistake all over again. It's just oh, like, yeah. okay, don't eat meat, you know, animal fat. And then people, okay, so they substitute it with sugar, carbohydrates, or chicken with arsenic, you know, it's the same mistake. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that the WHO study also, um, I, I think maybe what, what what was behind it in a lot of, uh, in some sense anyway, is that it was kind of damage control against the paleo diet, that a lot of the, um, a lot, you know, it's gaining traction, more and more people are turning to it. And, you know, they put out this study and it's like, well, look, at these paleo guys eat all this red meat. So obviously that's not, no, that's not healthy. That's not the answer. Or, you know, it makes people turn to kind of what I call like a, like a paleo light idea. It's kind of like, yeah, okay, I recognize that the grains and the sugar isn't bad, so I'm going to cut those out. But uh, I'm just going to eat my uh, my my chicken breasts. You know, that's that's that that'll be my source of protein. And and you know, I know people who are like this. You know, they they want they understand that fats are good for them, but they won't move beyond uh, avocados and coconut oil. And uh, you know, they understand that that uh, animal protein is important, but they'll do you know uh, chicken breasts and egg whites. It's like that's you know that that also is not the answer. So they're I think that you know, by, no, yeah, they're still driven by fear, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is exactly what I see. Um, I see in my uh, nutrition class. Um, there's like a, it's 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 not with the university, so it's with like a private institution, and it's called the College of Naturopathic Medicine. So you have a lot of sort of alternative um, oriented people, and a lot of them are aware of. Um, say the paleo diet or um, nutritional ketosis or whatever and um, their view of what healthy fats are 
is avocado oil, coconut mm-hmm. oil, um, you know, uh, different nut oils, all of these non-animal fats. And there still seems like it, it, it's almost like cognitive dissonance. They can accept that fats and saturated fats are really good for the body, yet they still can't bring themselves to admit that <laughs> the most um, nutritious sorts of fat are predominantly from animals. It's it's very strange to see. Um, But I was also going to say that it is really interesting this past year, um, 2015, um, I haven't got any of the articles um, up right now, but I know there's been a number of different ones in in quite mainstream newspapers, so like The Guardian or The Daily Mail in the UK, and you've also got ones in, um, in Time magazine, Talking about um, the um, the nutritional benefits of a low carb and high animal fat diet, and mm. I think it's a really interesting take on this whole WHO study. Is that perhaps mm-hmm. it's simply doing damage control, you know? Because I haven't really yeah. seen much else. I mean, I've been looking out for it quite a lot, but there hasn't been to, there hasn't seemed to be um, any like follow up from this study. There's no mm-hmm. um, massive changes in guidelines or you know, dietary requirements or anything like that, it seems to have just completely gone dead. So, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. I'm going to keep keep up to date with it, for sure. My experience, Caucasian people, you know, white people, <laughs> huh. do really well on animal fat and not so well with coconut oil, you know. You know, mm. I believe that there are, it's not a... Overgeneralized, but you know, if there is a person that has been intolerant to these oils like coconut oil, it's, mm. it, it has been a Caucasian person. So I find it interesting that you know, the most healing food, animal fat, is the most healing food for Caucasians, and specifically Caucasians who are so you know brainwashed about it. Yeah, definitely. One thing you about think coconut that, oil. Um, Sorry, go on. Sorry, on. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, say... Gap. Oh. <laughs> go on, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that I've, 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 it, this is kind of an aside, so maybe I should let you go ahead there, um, Elliot. But uh, the uh, one thing I've noticed with uh, with coconut oil is how often it's rancid, um, just from tasting it and smelling it. You know, I came across these uh, these uh, chips the other day that were cooked all in coconut oil, and I was like, oh wow, chips all in coconut oil. How about that? And I had a couple of bites of it. And I'm like, holy cow, these are like super rancid. And it's like, it, you know, like, so I wonder if a lot of these people who aren't doing well on coconut oil, it's because they're getting rancid, uh, rancid coconut oil. Um, you know, the, the, the common conception is that it, it's, uh, it's very stable and it doesn't go rancid very easily. But I don't know, man. That's not my experience with it. Well, I've been, yeah, I I've been, been people who reacted to supplements, you know, have, you know, quality supplements. So I think there is something to it. Mm. In response to what you were saying, Doug, um, I found that most of the brands of uh, supposedly high-quality coconut oil uh, really do taste rancid. There's only sort mm. of one or two brands over in the UK that I've been managed, that all that I've managed to get hold of, they're, um, that actually don't have this sort of really off chemical-like taste. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess it could be something to do with that. But I was going to ask you, Gabby, um, do you think that the reactions that Caucasian people have to coconuts. Do you think that's got anything to do with, I guess, uh, their hereditary genetics? 
So, for instance, mm. um, like a coconut grows naturally in India, whereas if you are if you live in you know um, northern Europe. When are you ever going to get mm-hmm. um, access to a coconut? You know, so yeah. so our genetics just simply haven't adapted to be able to digest these um, these different you know tropical types of fats. Whereas you get someone from India, and it's probably it's probably part of their DNA. You know, they've got different enzymes, etc. I don't know. Is it is is that? Do you think that plays a part with it? Or, or? I think yeah, that's part of it. I've I've already you know I've already talked with um with enough people from different ethnicities. And for me, there's really a pattern, like really like Caucasians, we truly are like paleo, you know, cave people. Mm. <laughs> and I do tend to see Mediterranean, Asians, like they seem to tolerate tolerate better carbohydrates, you know. And yeah. then, yeah, that's, that's my experience. Yeah. Mm. One thing about the coconut oil um, that you get, Doug, you mentioned it being rancid. I was uh, enlightened about that recently um, listening to uh, Dave Asprey, the Bulletproof Coffee guy, who people yeah. might be aware of or might not. Uh, he gets some questionable information, and I, frankly, I think a lot of good information. Um, he does talk a lot about the ketogenic diet and things like that, but he also uh, biohacks himself like to the extreme sometimes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> But he mentioned that there are some brands of coconut oil that when it's made, they essentially throw a bunch of coconuts into, like, a giant concrete pit and then essentially, like, let them ferment, you know, and then skim the oil off. And that's a way to mass-produce coconut oil, and that's where you get your cheap coconut oil, you know, that's, like, $5 a pound. Um, mm. And so in the in the case of coconut oil, it really does pay to do your research and to get some of the more... Uh, expensive brands, um, you know, if you can find out, like call the company and find out what their manufacturing process is because there are safe ways to do it and there are other ways to just make a bunch of coconut oil where it becomes rancid in the process. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've also heard that it's uh, some coconut oils are basically hydrogenated, right? Or they're they're cooked mm-hmm. to extreme heat levels that's unnatural so they don't break down in the body and that yeah. Uh, been suggested to seek out extra virgin coconut mm. oil. Know anything about that, Doug? Like, it, there's obviously different ways of processing the coconut. Well, my understanding is that the term extra virgin, when it applies to coconut oil, actually, it's not. There's not a real thing. There's no such thing as extra virgin coconut oil. Um, but there are things you can do. I mean, you can look uh, for how they're processing it, and I think that, that, Jonathan, you brought up a good point here. Like, some of the better brands of coconut oil do um, centrifugal uh, separation, so they'll actually put the uh, the coconut pieces into a, a drum and spin it so that the, uh, the what's coming out is the, is the fats, um, so it's not heated. Um, so that, that can be um, a better better method. There's other methods, too, that are, that are kind of uh, good methods for, for getting the, the oil out that doesn't involve high heat or, um, or hydrogenation, for that matter. Yeah, I know cold-pressed is meant to be good, but um, whenever mm-hmm. I've tried that one, it always tastes uh, a little bit funny. But I'd like to say that when you do get a quality coconut oil, you really know about it, or at least mm. I think that you know about it anyway, because the taste is so... Um, individual to coconut oil, you know, like uh, mm. 
I've noticed with that other stuff, the really crappy cheap stuff, it it could be anything, you know. It could be uh, yeah, it could all be sorts of oil, oil, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move uh, through some of our other topics here while we got uh, time today. Um, I guess on uh, a one uh, one of the good elements. Uh, one of the not bad things from this last year was the uh, recent indictment of the pharma bro, Martin <laughs> Shkreli. <laughs> um, I've seen him called, and I, I get a kick out of that title. So, um, but he, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling this up now. I don't know if you guys know any more about this uh, than I do, but he was just recently indicted by the FBI. And I'm not sure exactly what it was for. Was it for fraud? Yeah, security fraud. It was, yeah, security fraud. Yeah. So, yay. <laughs> yeah. Well, people he, might not FBI know who that guy is. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah true. He, he's he's the guy who uh, who kind of bought up um, a small uh, drug company and uh, and took a, a drug that was for uh, treatment of, I think it was for toxoplasmosis, and uh, jacked the price like I, I don't even know it was like a thousand percent or something like that. Five thousand percent. Five thousand. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Five thousand. I wasn't I wasn't exaggerating then. Yeah, no, it was just insane. Like the guy just basically took this this drug that was selling for something like thirteen dollars a pill and put it up to seven hundred dollars a pill. Or I, I don't know if I have those figures exactly right, but uh, but uh, it, it caused a big scandal because people are like, you know, you can't do that. Um, and it was really interesting. There was an interview with him at one point where somebody, a, a journalist asked him if he, uh, you know, given that it's gotten such bad press, would he have done anything differently had he had the opportunity again? And he actually said, well, I would have raised the price more. You know, my responsibility is to my shareholders and, uh, <laughs> and you know, I, I, I'm, you know, not responsible for, for the public or, or whatever. Um, and, you know, at one point he actually says, like, you know, if you guys think it's so easy, why don't you become a CEO and see how easy it is for you to maximize profits? And so it's like, like, what an asshole, you know, like just trying to justify it with these, with, with you know, it, it, it just makes you so mad. So it is good to see him getting some just desserts on this whole thing. Yeah, if our listeners are interested in watching the video of him, uh, we carried it on the health and wellness section. It's called Big Pharma Psycho. Martin Scarelli admits he messed up. He should have raised drug prices even higher. And uh, the video was taken um, at the Forbes, you know, Forbes magazine uh, health summit, and he did a 25-minute interview Um that was fascinating, horrifying, and utterly compelling, as the author says. Yeah. yeah, just like you said. I mean, you almost have to watch the video to see what a complete psycho the guy is. I mean, it's yeah. just... Case study. It's a very case study. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm generally loathe to praise the FBI, but uh, they did okay this time. <laughs> Yeah, just just to clarify, um, the drug was a drug called Daraprim, and uh, it was originally selling for um, thirteen and a half dollars. And he overnight he basically just jacked up the price to seven hundred and fifty dollars per pill. Um, and it's a it's a drug that can be um, used for HIV patients, 
um, AIDS patients. I think there's also toxoplasmosis and a few other things. But um, but yeah, basically, um, something that happened after that, which was which I I thought was really funny as well, was um, it, Martin Shkreli is the CEO of the company called um, Turing Pharmaceuticals, and they're the ones who uh, who jacked up this price. And then a few weeks later, um, you had another company called Impromis Pharmaceuticals, uh, based in San Diego. And what they basically do is um, they take the active ingredients of um, of a, uh, a particular drug. And I think, I, I can't say this for sure, but I think what they do is they essentially um, make a very small change in the pill. So say you've got a drug like Daraprim, which has been uh, patented and owned by a specific company what they do is they change it very slightly and so they can change the price for it so what this uh, what this company did was essentially um, has made the same drug but they started selling it for $99 um, per 100 capsule bottle mm. so so each each pill is like less than a dollar and essentially um, yeah they've done this <laughs> it's basically saying you know what Screw you, Martin Shkreli. They're going to sell your drug <laughs> cheaper than it was originally sold. And uh, yeah, so so his plan basically just backfired completely. And now he's being investigated by the FBI. So it just gets even better, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find it interesting that it's a drug against toxoplasmosis because it is a disease like you know the parasite that quite a lot of people have and it changes um, it has the potential to change your personality to make you you know more um, more like a risk taker and uh, I don't know if he was aware of that or not but um, it is a drug that is very like you know very useful Mm. or real good as opposed to most big pharma drugs (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just speaks so much to the whole medical industrial complex, if you will, in the United States. Because, as he says in one of these articles, his job isn't making patients better, it's making the most money for the shareholders, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He also tried to justify it by saying that, well, all the money from the profits of this drug are going to go into uh, research and design of other drugs, even better drugs. So he's kind of justifying it that way that, uh, oh, well, you know, over the long run, it's going to do some good because, you know, we'll get uh, we'll get some, we'll get more drugs out there on the market. But, uh, you know, there's no there's no guarantee of that or anything. So I, I, I don't know. It just it seems like just justification for his evil. Yeah. You just have to throw that in to justify his evilness. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that in the Forbes interview they were saying um, he authored a fascinating piece that implied Scarelli wasn't necessarily malevolent but misunderstood. And I think he's being. <laughs> and I think he, he's he's been voted the most hated man in America. <laughs> Doesn't sound misunderstood to me. <laughs> maybe he should go work for Monsanto, the most hated corporation in America. You know, maybe they'll offer him a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, frankly, this is interesting to me as well. You know, the guy's obviously uh, uh, a D-bag, 
Huh. But, uh, I mean, you know, and it, it's one of those, he's so clearly just, um, you know, and, and so blatantly selfish. Like, you, everybody agrees on this. You don't even have to discuss it. The guy's an idiot. Um, and, you know, it, it's good that he got caught and that he's being prosecuted for this. Um, but at the same time, like, there are worse people. You know, and the fact that he's the most hated man in America it really makes me wonder, you know, like what people are missing. And I know that our, our show is on the topic of health and wellness, and so we don't generally talk about world politics. But as far as things that are going on in uh, in the Middle East, you know, or things that are going on like with the United States military and stuff like that, there are worse things going on and worse people um, mm-hmm. doing their thing at high levels than, than this idiot. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I I don't want to like turn it to the dark side, but it just struck me that that if he's the most hated man in America, like what are people missing? Like there are other people that you should hate more than this guy. But <laughs> <laughs> Bill, like Bill Gates. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Well, um, I guess kind of moving through our list of things from the year. Um, we talked about radiation a couple of weeks ago, so I think that we'll we'll skip that for now because we did cover some of those issues. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, um, we did a show on uh, uh, EMF, uh, electromagnetic fields, um, with Larry Bowers, um, and I, I know quite a few of our listeners caught that show and that it was well-received. Um and it sounds like there is maybe just slightly more awareness coming out about that. Uh, there was an article up on SOT uh, called No Cell Phones for Kids. They absorb 10 times more radiation in their bone marrow than adults. Um, mm-hmm. And now that was republished from a, uh, a site called Prevent Disease. Um, and so I don't know if this is necessarily like a really a widespread awareness. Um mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think? Have you heard more people, less people talking about EMS and, and electromagnetic pollution? Um, personally, Not I from haven't, side. haven't heard. Yeah. Yeah, just take a walk out in the world, at least in the U.S., and see how many people are just on them constantly. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, talk about serious, like the next epidemic is going to be tech smack. <laughs> <laughs> well, one yeah. that article... People seeking Wi-Fi, you know, hotspots. They actually like, you know, seeking it deliberately. Yeah. Well, one thing in that article was that the the World Health Organization has actually admitted that uh, mobile phones might cause cancer. So you know, yeah. once again, it's uh, WHO. So I don't know how much anybody listens to them. But, uh, the, you know, it, it's kind of like very, everybody's very selective in, in what information coming from the WHO is relevant, you know. I won't eat my red meat, but uh, I'm going to ignore what they have to say about uh, cell phones. I don't know. Uh, what I found really troubling about that article, that it quotes, okay, that children absorb 10 times more uh, in their, um, radiation in their bone marrow, but they also mm-hmm. said... Um, to their head, there was up to triple in their brain's hypocampus and hypothalamus, mm. and greater absorption in their eyes. You know, it's like you know, children nowadays didn't didn't stand a chance. No, I know. 
It's disturbing to see um, to see family members. I have I have nephews who um, can barely talk, and they are constantly on their tablets or hmm. on their mobile phones or whatever. And um, yeah, I, I'm I'm just really interested to see what what actually happens um, in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's quite scary, isn't it? Yeah. We think about the combination effect too of you know these mandatory vaccine requirements, you know, not just happening in the United States but around the world, and the diet and the cell phone. I mean, what are these children going to be like who alleged, allegedly are going to be ruling our world someday? You know. Yeah, I mean, if Idiocracy. you think about it, the human body is is like seriously resilient. I mean it can take a lock, can't it? <laughs> yeah. You would think you would think that after all of the things that we've researched and all of the onslaught on, on the human body, you would think that it just would not be able to take it and somehow like people still manage to, to sort of live their daily lives, you know. Imagine well, yeah. I guess it, it. I guess it depends how you define the word "live." You know. Yeah, exactly. Do they just right. do they just exist as drones, or do they actually? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things that I mean, it, it's kind of like cell phones and tablets and all these things are kind of a, in, in, like embedded in our daily existence now. Like, I I personally don't know if I could get by without. Um, a, a cell phone at some point, but I, I Larry actually gave a couple of really good tips in in the show that we had with him. The shows that we had with him. Um, one thing was to, and, and it's a behavior that I've uh, adopted myself, is to put your cell phone into um, uh, airplane mode whenever it's mm-hmm. uh, when you're not using it. So uh, you know, whenever you, you kind of, anytime I have it on my person and I'm just carrying it around, I have it in airplane mode. Because when you have it in airplane mode, it's not uh, broadcasting or taking in any kind of uh, signal at all. And uh, we've done a few experiments with an RF meter and kind of seeing when it's in airplane mode and kind of measuring if there's any signal coming off it and there's not. So I think that's one thing you can do. Like, yeah, if you have to, if you have to send a message or something like that or, or check your email quickly, you know, you kind of take it out of the airplane mode, you do what you got to do. And then as soon as you're done, you put it back in airplane mode. And uh, so that's just one kind of... Uh, safety, uh, you know, step that you can take to kind of minimize your own exposure. Yeah, I began doing that as well. And I also stopped um, using Wi-Fi. I changed to um, mm-hmm. to using the, the cable and the lead. And what I actually did notice as soon as I stopped using Wi-Fi was, um, say, before when I'd sit with my laptop on my lap, um, mm. After while I was using Wi-Fi, after about half an hour, I would get like a, a, a dull ache, like around mm. my groin area, and around the top of my thighs. And mm. I just used to assume that this was normal, but it, it, it's amazing because as soon as I stopped using Wi-Fi, um, I I have not had that pain. So I, I assume that that is that was probably because of the EMF. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 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 
No, I think I think it's really important to kind of minimize your exposure as much as you can. You know, unfortunately, Wi-Fi is everywhere now. But uh, even when you're surrounded by it, you can minimize your own exposure to it by not being on a device that's uh, that's using the Wi-Fi or having your device turned off or an airplane mode or something like that. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 really unfortunate because even if you're taking steps yourself to try and minimize your exposure, you know, what's your neighbor doing? They've got their Wi-Fi mm-hmm. turned on, so then you're getting you're getting beamed by that all the time too. Yeah. Yeah, I think much harder for people who live in. Uh, you know, metro areas to avoid that kind of thing. Um, you know, I live in a rural area, so if you want to avoid Wi-Fi, you can. Uh, you can even mm-hmm. avoid cell networks if you want to. Um, but if you're uh, if you're going anywhere near a more populated area, especially one of the major cities, I mean, it's you know, you just can't get away from it. Um, I mm-hmm. notice that every time I go, every time I go to visit a, a city, whether it's you know like Green Bay or Chicago or Detroit or anywhere like in the Midwest, like as soon as you start coming into the city, you see cell phone tower, cell phone tower, cell phone tower. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, literally multiple towers within a one square mile radius. Yeah. Um, and it's, <clears throat> I don't know, I've, I've often wondered if it was uh, psychosomatic for me or if it was an actual sense of dread that I was picking up mm-hmm. from the towers themselves because I always mm-hmm. get this really un uneasy feeling it's like uh you know it's like if you're walking past the nuclear reactor and you can't tell that the radiation is there but you're like eh, you know yeah yeah no i've noticed that, and that absolutely yeah i mean i definitely don't think that i'm electronically sensitive uh the way some people are um you know, I know that there are, there's more extreme and, and less extreme versions of that. I've never noticed anywhere, you know, where I can't keep a cell phone in my pocket or else I get like a migraine. I, it's not like that for me. Um, I just, when I'm near a, a more a Wi-Fi or EMF kind of drenched area, I, I get this uneasy kind of feeling. But, Erica, I think yeah. you had mentioned once that you that you are electronically sensitive. Like, what is that? Uh, what's that like for you? Are you, you know, is it extreme or is it uh, kind of subtle? Um, I'd say, and I think I shared this in a past show, just like you were saying, almost that sense of dread, but also um, headaches and uh, just general, like, anxiety almost. Because Mm -hmm. um, I'm in a rural area, too, and when I do go into, like, a big city, it's, it's almost like, what could be termed like a frequency fence, like you feel like you're mm. you're um, like a cattle in an electric fence. I don't know. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very accurate, actually. <laughs> yeah. And then almost like a scrambling of your brain, like and and maybe it's from not being in a big city and then going into the big city and being overwhelmed. But I definitely notice I, I have this always seen cell phone towers everywhere like look there's another one oh there's another one there's another one yeah. and then um, also noticing everybody on their phone so like as you're saying not being able to get away from it either mm-hmm. you know because everybody around you I mean it, we've discussed this before but you know you sit in a in a in the waiting place at the airport to get on the plane and every single person is is on their phone you know, so you're yeah. being bombarded with it. 
I definitely notice it very much in airports. And I don't know if that's because of the, the Wi-Fi or the electromagnetic environment or something like that, but I find airports to be very anxiety-inducing. And it, I don't know what it is about the airports because it doesn't seem to matter if I'm actually traveling myself or if I'm just going to pick somebody up or what the case may be. But there is this kind of, I don't know, this ambient sort of, it, it's like I'm, I'm put into fi uh, fight or flight mode as soon as I walk in the place. And yeah, I, I, like I say, I don't know if it's the electromagnetic environment. It certainly seems reminiscent of being in a heavy, a heavy EMF environment. Um, so I, I don't know what's going on at airports. Well, especially like in the U.S. Yeah, in the U.S. they okay. play the TVs too, like CNN or your news. Mm -hmm. And so if it's not just the Wi-Fi, then it's all the like, uh, you know, information bombardment. You know, I, I tend to like, don't look at the TV, don't look at the TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's just and then you find yourself staring at the TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just, it's just an area of high bullshit concentration. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I get the same thing uh, in in airports too, and I, I guess I generally don't mind flying. Where I know some people really hate flying, I don't necessarily mind it, but I do hate the airport experience. That uh, yeah, that's a tough one. It's probably a combination of all the different factors, but there certainly is a glut of, of Wi-Fi and EMF going on within airports. It's almost oh, discombobulating. Ahead, it's discombobulating to the brain. You know, there's, there's so much stimuli already going on because, you know, there's all these different people and, but then the electrical factor too, it just, it's almost like it scrambles your brain. It's the best mm -hmm. way that I could. And, and so back to the children using them. I mean, children are already having so much brain activity going on, like Gabby said, you know, and, and it's just uh, the scrambling of, of a child's brain. It's really frightening. It is frightening when the parents actually encourage it, you know, like, oh, clean the tablet or, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes, uh, Erica, kind of like you mentioned before, you know, how where is this going to go? Um, and Elliot, you mentioned nieces and nephews that you have, you know, being kind of dumbed down. And um, I noticed that with uh, with kids around here too, and it's it's unfortunate. I mean, I think our our current generation is sort of uh, dumbed down enough already, uh, and so it is kind of scary to see where it's going to go. I mean, it, it, all you have to do is spend a, a little bit of time looking at history and looking at the history of, like, the educational system and things like that uh, to see where people's minds have gone. But, you know, the, uh, the 1800s was, like, the golden age of invention um, in, in the Western world anyway. And, and, you know, there were many, many people who were just coming up with their own things. There were a lot of really brilliant people around. And uh, I guess there still are, but I can't say that there are as many. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, it maybe sound a little cliche too, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of scared for our kids. Mm -hmm. I was, um, I was watching today a video, uh, probably you guys heard about it, maybe Larry talk about it. Um, it's from Larry Troller. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. 
and he's a, he was an expert in microwave weapons and the Royal Navy, the British Royal Navy. He gives advices, you know, talks to, to bring, you know, to give more awareness into this, into this topic. He was talking how Wi-Fi, you know, basically affects genetically the, the ovaries. So that's where the uh, genetics of the descendants are carried. So we might not see the full effects until the grandchildren of the current generation, you know, um, grows up or comes up. And um, he was really like, he was very, very critical about it. He was saying that, you know, any school that uses or that puts Wi-Fi on the school should be condemned to perpetual, you know, to for jail, you know, like, hmm. it's really like the most completely responsible thing to do. Hmm. Yeah, that um, that guy's really, really knowledgeable about knowledgeable about um, EMF because I think that he was because uh, he worked for the Navy, and I'm sure that he he specialised in um, something to do with EMF radiation and how it could be um, sort of directed in um, in warfare to um, like a, 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 as a weapon, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely recommend checking out that guy's videos because he, he lectures all, all around the country. I think he may may even go around the world, but I know he definitely lectures around the UK. And um, and he's very serious about the effects of, um, of radiation and how, the ch- well, it, it, from what I remember, he's basically saying that... Um, it will be a miracle if there are any people who are fertile over the next few generations. You know, like sure. the fer- mm-hmm. fertility rates are basically going to plummet to near enough zero because it, it's near enough impossible to um, for, your, for your system to function when it's put under this much stress from um, from this radiation. It, it, it is quite quite depressing to look at, but it's certainly worth a watch. What, uh, kind of what was the guy's Johnson. name again? I can't Barry remember Trower. exactly what. It's Barry Trower. I put the name and a link to a video in the chat. Oh, okay, cool. These names are very difficult to pronounce for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Let's uh, Let's move on in our list a little bit here. We have a couple things left before we go to the pet health segment for today. Um, but uh, one other article we have here, the uh, unholy alliance of DuPont and Dow Chemical. There's this article up on SOT, uh, DuPont and Dow Chemical merger, bad deal for people and the planet. Um, watchdog groups are sounding the alarm after two of the oldest and largest corporations in the United States, DuPont and Dow Chemical, announced plans to merge into a $130 billion giant thereby establishing the world's biggest seed and pesticide conglomerate. Uh, The new behemoth named Dow DuPont, the creative name, uh, (laughs) would then be split split into three independent publicly traded companies. Um, So they're going to focus on agriculture, material material science, and technology and innovation-driven specialty products, which is about as general as you can get, I think. But, uh, Yeah. yeah, I mean... Uh, interesting thing going on here, you know, kind of in the background, and maybe maybe a lot of people aren't 
aware of the influence that these companies have, um, but it really, really is widespread. You know, they they steer the direction of uh, anything involving, you know, like they said here, anywhere from uh, seeds and pesticides to, um, you know, all kinds of uh, chemical manufacturing, um, safety standards, all of that throughout the world. And uh, so it's, I guess this is a little bit of on, uh, on the uh, the darker side of our topics today. We have the dark side and the light side. But, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure what this portends for, for humanity, these two companies coming together, but uh, I'm, I'm sure that it won't be positive in the long run. Yeah, well, it's just going to make it harder for farmers and agriculture in general to get off the GMO treadmill, and that's what they talk about in the article, that it keeps increasing with speed, and, uh, you know, the article calls for the Department of Justice to block the merger to prevent further corporate control of the basic building blocks of the food supply. And kind of on a side note, you know, DuPont Chemical is um, an article recently came out about their Teflon product and how it causes all kinds of cancer. And, you know, they've known for years it's like this the same kind of scary, dark information. Like these people are basically killing people with their products and they're let to continue on doing business as usual. Yeah. Uh, I think unholy alliance is definitely a good term for it. I mean, it's basically just a consolidation of complete and total evil up at the top. And, you know, when you, when you have these companies that are so, uh, so, like there's so much wealth that they are dealing with that they're essentially omnipotent. So it just really... It's, it's overwhelming to think about, you know, getting back to what we were talking about before, like having hope. It's like, you know, if, you, if you're if you up against this, you know, $130 billion giant, what exactly can we do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we can, like we were talking about, we can change the small things, you know, in our, mm-hmm. uh, in our daily lives, um, and we can make small differences, but, uh, you know, I don't know. That's a tough one. Yeah. No, no, kind of. Uh, John Doe or Jane Doe is going to take down a 130 billion dollar company, um, you know, or or change their mode of operation. Mm. Um, you know, it's like when the the machine has kind of gotten out of control, and uh, profit is the uh, the end goal there, um, and all you know, empathy and human compassion has been taken out of the standard operating model, mm. what can you do? Maybe we will see some kind of Davy and Goliath type story, and Joe Schmo will take them down, the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, Elliot, you mentioned uh, the idea of, you know, creating a new reality, and I, you know, it's, it's a tough one to talk about because I think, like, you can get into the the kind of new agey idea that you make your own reality. And so you just kind of wish what it'll be and then it'll change to that, which personally I don't agree with. Um, it takes uh, action and not just wishing, um, mm. but it also not only, not only takes action, but prudent action, um, you know, because you can, uh, you can go half cocked off in the wrong direction and then you're essentially defeating yourself. Um, so I think kind of like what we've been talking about, some of these small solutions, 
uh, talk to people, talk to your friends, uh, present data that you've found, um, you know, make small changes in your life, you know, it, no matter how small. Um, recycle mm-hmm. some of the stuff instead of throwing it away. Um, you know, make your own food instead of uh, getting it, you know, prepackaged processed stuff from the grocery store. Um, you know, look up uh, farmers instead of getting meat from Walmart, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think that's definitely it. And 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 you know, just getting your 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 awareness up and and realizing what's coming, recognizing when you're being fed a line, you know. I mean, because as as powerful as as this mega corporation may be, um you know, you still have some reasonable amount of control in your own life. Um so whatever they're trying to convince you of, you know, be aware. Know the arguments against it. I think that's that's a, an important aspect of it as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, knowledge is key. Um, if we're not aware, if we don't know what's going on, um, then we're we're at a disadvantage. And just taking that very first step of becoming aware of what the situation is, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's seemingly small but uh, entirely necessary, required first step for people to do. So. You know, if you, you do you do some research and don't be mentally, psychologically defeated while you're doing that research. You know, remind yourself, yeah. I'm I'm learning. You know, I'm learning about this, and that's what I can do right now. That's what I need to do first is learn the information and and mm-hmm. like we talked about many times, use the uh, use the negative um, as a as a means to galvanize your intent yeah, instead mm-hmm. of becoming overwhelmed. Um, and just kind of, you know, it's it's very easy to curl up in the corner in, in a fetal position and turn on Netflix. Uh, I'm I'm guilty of that myself, you know, from time to time. Too. <laughs> um, so. And also, um, when things become so depressing, like we've just been speaking about the merging of DuPont and Dow Chemicals, um, perhaps trying to have faith in the concept that justice will prevail at some point in some way. Maybe not the way that you think it will prevail, but it 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 will prevail. At, at, you know, at some point in the future. And whether mm. it um, whether it's you know just Joe Bloggs taking him down, like, um, <laughs> or whether it's a comet that <laughs> blows up the whole <laughs> earth and restores things back back to um, back to equilibrium, it will happen in some way. And uh, we can't anticipate exactly how it will happen, but the concept of justice and truth, um, they, um, you know, they they are far bigger than 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 what's happening on this earth, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Totally. And if enough people do just a little, I mean. Just reading about it, you know, as hard as it is to read about, you know, these psycho pharma guys and, you know, these huge corporations, like having that knowledge and being able to look at it and kind of assimilate it and then, you know, share it with others or just even having a discussion like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, certainly. Um, there is, you know, just to your point, you know, have discussions with your friends. Uh, there's, I think, something to be said for 
kind of what you might call armchair activism on social media. You know, people are on social media, so it's a way to get information to them. Um, but nothing replaces the uh, the face-to-face uh, or group discussion uh, with some people that you know. Um, you know, whether you're at somebody's house for dinner or you're at a coffee shop or whatever, um, we need to be careful not to lose that connection with people um, because, you know, as, as soon as we do, and I think we're very close, if not there already, where that is almost gone uh, from the day-to-day operations of uh, at least people in the Western world. Um, you know, there's very little kind of group gatherings anymore, even just on a very small scale, um, because why not just use Facebook, you know? Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, let's see here. Let's go to the uh, the pet health segment, um, if you guys are cool with that. Uh, Zoya also has kind yeah. of a year in review for us. Um, and when we come back, uh, we will have a recipe. We've got a recipe for coconut milk eggnog. Um, so for mm. those who might want to make some, some eggnog for the holidays without having to use uh, heavy cream and, and sugar, uh, there is a way to do it. <laughs> I made this last week, and it was quite tasty. Um, mm. So we'll do that uh, when we come back. And here's Zoya with the pet health segment. Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya, and today I would like to talk a bit about what happened in the veterinary field in the year 2015. There is, as it usually goes, good news and bad news. Good news is that the technological and innovative aspect of veterinary medicine continues to progress, and clinics around the world can offer top-notch help to your furry family members and successfully deal with pathologies that were once untreatable. Diagnostic tools become more accurate, and in some clinics you can even receive an experimental treatment, such as the usage of stem cells. Stem cells are most often used to treat uh, horses, dogs, and cats, but clinicians have also sought to use them to repair, uh, for example, a lumbar fracture in a Bengal tiger and arthritis in pigs. Researchers have also found stem cells in the fat of bottlenose dolphins, raising hopes for treating the marine mammal versions of liver disease and type 2 diabetes. Some claim that this treatment cures everything. So, does it mean that our animal companions are being provided with the best care possible and we are in fact in the golden era of veterinary science? If so, how can we explain the epidemic of urinary obstruction and kidney diseases in cats, for example, or increase in arthritis and other orthopedic problems in dogs and prevalence of various types of cancer? Yes, it's true that supposedly there are more ways to treat cancer, but how can we explain this fact that with all, with all the technological wonders, our pets still become increasingly sick? Can we really measure the well-being of our pets by the treatment that they get after they become sick? Wouldn't it be more logical to measure the success of the veterinary field by its ability to prevent disease from happening in the first place? This is what the real job of medicine men and women should be, 
doesn't matter if they treat two or four-legged creatures. So why it isn't happening? In order to answer this question, let's move on to the not-so-good and outright bad news then, shall we? I stumbled upon a recent article with the title Vet Industry Compromised by Influence of Pet Food and Pharmaceutical Companies, Expert Says. Hmm, that's funny, I thought to myself. Because if you will remove the veterinary from the title, it is exactly what happens in the human medicine field too. And then it says the following. A leading veterinarian has warned his profession is being compromised by the pet food and animal pharmaceutical industries. Richard Malik has been a vet for 34 years and is recognized as one of Australia's leading cat specialists. He has made a formal complaint to the highest veterinary board in New South Wales calling for the profession to distance itself from the global pet care industry. We are on the slippery slope of influence that pervades the things we do, and it shouldn't happen, he said. He has outlined three areas of concern, the commercialization of pet practices, the influence on student vets, and continuous uh, professional development of qualified vets. There is a view in vet science that we couldn't organize a conference or seminar or webinar without the help of pet food companies or drug companies. But how can a veterinarian be a trusted provider of scientific information about your pet when he has a vested interest by selling stuff out the front, he said. The influence of pet food companies like Heels, for example, begins early in the training of vets. It has what is called a multi-project funding project at Perth Murdoch University, which includes Heels paying for a branded lab codes for students beginning hospital placements and the promotion of Hills Pet Food at the university's veterinary teaching hospital. Almost all discharge letters for animals treated there recommend the Hills specific diet. Vets can earn points through short online courses or webinars, web-based seminars. Hills provides these webinars as does pharmaceutical giant Bayer, which has won marketing awards for its strategy with vets. Dr. Malik said there was no regulation. You can't help thinking if people have to get these points that show continuing understanding that you should get it from an independent provider where that funding, if it comes from industry, is unconditional. A selection of topics is chosen but what the vet needs rather than what the sponsor is flogging at this particular point in time, he said. And that students need to be made really aware of the problem. Dr. Malik wants vets to learn from doctors' experience with big pharmaceutical companies and adopt the Australian Medical Association's Code of Ethics. We should have same ethical standards doctors do. They have learned, their, uh, they have learned from their mistakes, Dr. Malik said. Well, as a side note, considering what has been shared on the show regarding the human medicine, unfortunately, I think that many doctors are never going to learn from their mistakes. At the end of the article, Dr. Malik says, It saddens me that despite terrific developments, we have gone down this pathway of commercialism. I think it devalues our profession as a vet. And I completely agree. This article provides a short but concise explanation why our pets are not getting better. It's because many vet students then become 
that then become vet doctors just continue to contribute to the vicious cycle of selling extremely damaging dry foods to pet owners that then them, they feed the dry food to the pets and then it causes the, their pets many problems and then the pet owners bring them to the veterinarians to get the fabulously technological treatments not to mention the annual vaccinations that lead to even greater damage. I hope you can see how twisted and wrong this picture is. As for farm animals or animals we raise for food, unfortunately there is bad news too. New federal data in the US released at the end of uh, last week indicates that sales of antibiotics for use in food animals in the United States are still rising despite public pressure to change the practice and condemnation for, by medicine that farm misuse and overuse is contributing to antibiotic resistance that threatens human health. To finish with something more positive, recent research at the Rabies Challenge Fund suggests immunity from rabies vaccination lasts much longer than the usual one to three years interval required by current laws. This study had added significant evidence that we may be over-vaccinating for rabies in our pet population. Kansas State Veterinary Diagnostic Laboratory recently announced the modification of the established rabies antibody test to rapidly screen immunity to rabies virus. Once properly vaccinated, such te uh, testing can be used to identify if the individual has an antibody level indicator for protection from rabies. And uh, if animal undergoes testing and is found to have adequate protection, the Animal uh, Holistic Veterinary Medical Association supports reform of public health laws that require automatic vaccination. Such booster vaccinations may not be medically necessary. Well, this is it for today. I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Hopefully New Year will bring more opportunities to expose criminal and psychopathic influences in every field and aspect of our lives. Let our beloved pets and us as well to have an improved level of wellness and being. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs> the goat says yes. I really like the fish. Well, that was great. Thank you, Zaya. And uh, indeed, may the uh, may the new year bring us some more opportunities to expose um, negative practices, psychopathic practices. Um, everybody keeps their eyes open and uh, keeps reading and keeps learning. Um, yeah. So we have our uh, see our recipe for today, uh, leading up to Christmas. Uh, is coconut milk eggnog. Um, so the ingredients here that you need, uh, depending on how much you want to make, uh, this makes quite a bit. Uh, you'll need a large um, stock pot, uh, probably like two gallons, just to give yourself some room uh, to mix everything in and stir. Um, <clears throat> but this takes uh, six cups of coconut milk, uh, which is about three cans, depending on the size of the cans that you get, but uh, six cups of coconut milk, six egg yolks, um, one tablespoon of vanilla, um, and, you know, use the, uh, the organic uh, vanilla extract. If you can, don't use the artificial stuff. Um, now, this 
uh, recipe calls for a quarter cup of honey or equivalent of stevia. And in my own experience, um, I found that a, uh, a teaspoon of, of pure powdered stevia is about equivalent to a cup of sugar uh, in sweetness. Uh, sometimes it can be a little bit more, uh, maybe like two teaspoons. Um, but stevia is pretty powerful. And um, I don't know the conversion factors for like xylitol or erythritol. Um, those of you who use those sweeteners might uh, be a little more intimate with that. But where this calls for a quarter cup of honey, uh, personally, I would use say like a half a teaspoon of stevia. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's what I used in this last batch, and it turned out pretty good. Um, <clears throat> and then one half teaspoon of ground nutmeg, and one half teaspoon of ground cinnamon, and you can alter those uh, to your liking. Um, the kind of predominant flavor of uh, eggnog is nutmeg. Um, the nutmeg is also pretty powerful, so you want to be careful not mm-hmm. to put too much in there. Um, but I, I use like a, a rounded half teaspoon of nutmeg, so a little bit more. Um, and then uh, plenty of cinnamon uh, or the equivalent amount of cinnamon. Um, so there are two ways to make this. You can basically uh, put all the ingredients uh, into a, a Vitamix or a high-powered blender and blend it until it's really smooth and then slowly bring up the heat uh, in a saucepan. And, you know, when it just starts to thicken in the saucepan, um, then, you know, make sure you keep stirring it while it's heating up uh, when it just starts to thicken, then take it off and chill it in the fridge. Um, and there you have that. Or you can drink it warm, too. It's pretty good warm. Uh, the traditional way to do it is to heat the coconut milk and the vanilla until it's warm in the saucepan and then whisk in the egg yolks and the spices um, slowly. Uh, and you you actually add in half. So I'm sorry. You whisk the egg yolks and the spices in a separate bowl. Then you slowly add in half of the coconut milk mixture to the egg yolks uh, to warm it up, and then add the whole mixture back into the saucepan, um, bring it up to a low heat, and continue to whisk it until it starts to thicken, uh, and then enjoy it from there. And like I said, it can be had warm or uh, chilled. It's quite good either way. Um, Your main thing here is you want to make sure that you don't heat it too quickly or too hot, um, and that you don't cook the egg yolks too quickly. Uh, when they're mixed into the solution, because that will result in the clumping. You want to make sure you go slow, keep stirring it, and bring it up to that low heat and slow, until it starts to thicken. Um, and it's quite good. This is, like, barely distinguishable from traditional eggnog, I found. Mm-hmm. Um, so have fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. that sounds like a must-do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds really good. I always found that eggnog tasted really good, despite the name. I always thought I thought the name was always terrible. It sounds gross, but, uh, yeah. but it's actually quite tasty. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. It's yeah. Very like what exactly is nog? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, of course, this is traditionally mixed with uh, rum or brandy, um, but for the purposes of our show, we'll just do the uh, the straight eggnog, and that's how I made it. Was just the coconut milk, egg yolks, uh, vanilla, nutmeg, and cinnamon. Uh, and stevia, and it was quite good, very good. Mm. So, yeah, um, so that's our show for today. Uh, we'd like to thank everybody for 
hanging with us. Thanks to our chat participants. Um, and we appreciate you guys uh, tuning in. Um, be sure to stay tuned for the other two uh, SOT radio shows that are coming up this weekend. The Truth Perspective uh, tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern and Behind the Headlines, uh, which will be Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern. Always very good shows. Um, and we will not be back next week um, because next Friday is Christmas. So we are going to uh, take a break for that show. Um, and we will uh, we will be back for uh, New Year's Day. Uh, we may do a, a reduced, like a shorter version of the show for New Year's Day. Um, but we'll keep you posted on that. Um, but wishing everybody a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. And hope you guys all have a, a good time and uh, safe travels if you are traveling any, anywhere. Um, and make sure not to uh, eat yourselves into a coma. <laughs> All right. Happy holidays, Thanks, everybody. everybody. Yeah, have a great Christmas, guys. Bye.